Good morning. We hope you have your Bible with you and have it ready to use. We are in the Old Testament. We need to look again at the book of Ecclesiastes and today we are in chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. When you just talk about life based on what's here on the earth under the sun and you leave God and eternity out there is utter despair and vanity no good answers it ends in death you're chasing after when Solomon wants his readers to understand that and so when it looks like Solomon is repeating himself or exaggerating or rattling our minds remember his purpose is to bring us face to face with the hard realities of life under the sun now if when you look at life under the sun you leave God out and you leave eternity out that's chasing after when to turn that all to the highest purpose Solomon's leading us to a conclusion that he will express at the end of the book and that conclusion is fear God and keep his commandments that's the way you navigate the hard realities of life on earth and we'll see that again today in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 after prayer Heavenly Father we express our praise to thee our love for Jesus Christ and our gratitude for thy word help us in our concentration our learning our application of thy word in Jesus name Amen Ecclesiastes chapter 9 I'm going to take us down through verse 10 to start our class. And all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. <clears throat> it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so the sinner is. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun 
because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. To begin our study of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I want you to look back with me at the end of chapter 8. And we're going to launch our study into 9 by going back to the very end of chapter 8. It is the way it works many times in Bible study. At the end of chapter 8, Solomon's subject is human limitation. Human limitation. There are things done under the sun that man cannot find out, cannot know in advance, cannot perfectly fix or resolve. Solomon has said that many times in Ecclesiastes. And in the English Standard Version, the last phrase in chapter 8 is, He cannot find out. There are things man cannot discover, cannot find out. Now, move right into chapter 9. But all this, all what? All this about human limitation. All this about what man cannot find out. In chapter 9, Solomon is still thinking and writing about how limited human beings are. Solomon laid it to heart. He factored in his own experience and observations. He examined all of this about human limitations. And as those thoughts occupied his mind, he thought of something else that is clear and that is hopeful and a blessing that men and women can have while they're here that they can choose so long as they're alive. And that is living in the hand of God. Living in the hand of God. Solomon thought about how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. The point seems to be I'm speaking now to the main point of this section, I believe. While there there will always be things on earth we cannot understand and cannot fix and do not like, we can put our lives in the hand of God. Now, this is one of those cases where I'm going to say to you, if there's some detailed wording in Ecclesiastes 9 that baffles you or that you're not quite certain about, Here's the main idea that you can be certain about. While there will always be things on earth that you cannot completely understand, cannot perfectly unravel and discover, and do not like, you can make the choice to put your life in the hand of God. So obviously in chapter 9, Solomon takes us to a place that is hopeful. There is light here in chapter 9, not dark. This provides us with assurance and blessing even though we live under the sun. Even though there are bad things that happen under the sun that we don't like and can't understand and some things we cannot undo. Coming out of chapter 8 into chapter 9, there is this brighter thought that Solomon puts before us. You can put your life in the hand of God. 
Now, the New Testament truth that becomes the corollary for that is Christ died so that we can be forgiven of sin and through baptism we can enter into fellowship with God. And one way to say that is to put your life in the hand of God. No matter that there are things here that you don't understand and can't fix, you can put your life in the hand of God so long as you're alive. You can make that choice. That's the primary idea in the first part of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Questions or comments? Do you see that? Now, here's one reason this is so important to put your life in the hand of God. When we consider what is before us and what is ahead of us, whether it be love or hate, we do not know. I don't think this means we don't know if God will love us or hate us. No. God has revealed himself to us and has revealed his son to us with sufficient and adequate clarity. We can know what God thinks about us. We can take our behavior and look at what God has said we ought to do and we can have assurance. So I don't think this means that we don't know if God loves us or hates us. No. I believe this pertains to our lack of knowledge about whether we will encounter in the future love or hate. Whether we will encounter in the future love or hate. We don't know. We can't read the future. We are not good at that. Here's what we can do. We can't read the future. We can't fix everything. We can't perfectly understand everything, but we can put our lives in the hand of God. You see that? Are you with me there? Now, another reason to keep yourself in the hand of God, something Solomon calls the same event. There's this part of life that is the same for everybody. And it's called death. It's the same for everybody. Solomon's going to talk to us in verses 2 through 6 about the reality of death. That's another reason to make the choice while you're alive to put your life in the hand of God. Solomon talks to us from 2 down through 6 about the reality of death. It may seem to us sometimes, reading Ecclesiastes, that Solomon has an almost morbid obsession with death. He brings it up so much. It may seem to us that in every chapter there's either a direct or an indirect reference to death. That one day life under the sun for us will end. Now there are other realities and evils and enigmas and injustices that Solomon puts before us that could happen before we die. But he's always coming back to death. And we may think as we evaluate Solomon's essay, why not just cover everything about life under the sun and don't harp on death so much? Well, <clears throat> it's because it happens to all. You can't talk about life under the sun without talking about the fact that there will be an exit. 
there will be a time when life under the sun is over. In the end, we leave here. What then? Have you put your life in the hand of God? What then when you leave here? I want you to look through this passage with me at the phrases that identify the reality of death. In verse 2, it is the same for all. Then it says, as the good one is, so is the sinner. The same event happens to all. And then in verse 5, very clearly, the living know that they will die. And the dead do not have under the sun knowledge. No under the sun rewards. Eventually they are forgotten by survivors and descendants. Solomon has mentioned that before. No more share in all that is done under the sun. Once you leave your existence under the sun, you no longer have any involvement under the sun. Solomon punctuates that over and over again. These words in chapter 9, <clears throat> really from 1 down to 6 are immersed in the reality of death. Death could come at any time. And if we've not been living under the authority of God, <clears throat> if we've not taken advantage of the redemption offered in Christ, the outcome will be bad, as bad as one could imagine, even worse. When you take into consideration not just what Solomon says about the reality of death, but then you bring into that all the Bible says and everything the New Testament says, we had better think about death. But not just think about it, we'd better prepare for it. And Christ died so that we can prepare for it. It all fits together. The messages and themes in Ecclesiastes and what God promises in the gospel. Put your life in the hand of God. You cannot perfectly understand everything that goes on under the sun. You cannot fix everything that goes under the sun. You cannot go back and undo things that have already happened. What can you do facing death? You can put your life in the hand of God. You can put your life in the hand of God. Are you listening? So important. So let's go back. Now that we've got the main idea, the scope of the passage in mind, let's go back and look at some of these phrases. We've already talked about some of them, but let's go back and look at that phrase, hand of God. That's just putting your life in God's hand. Do you trust your hands, your mind, your ability, your power? Your strength, all those things are wrapped up in the image of hands. Hands are active. Hands comfort. Hands are able to reach out and rescue. I don't trust my hands with my life. I trust God's hands. And that's the only way I can put up with all the bad things that happen under the sun. I put my life in the hand of God. Look at verse 3. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. Well, this clearly defines and expresses well a concept that is repeated over and over in Ecclesiastes and it's captured by that word vanity. 
vanity. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. That's vanity. That's living your life under the sun without God. And then you die. And you know, when people know they're going to die, sometimes their attitude is, I'm just going to set my heart on doing all the evil I can before I die. I'm going to play around with madness and fantasy and dreams and waste my life and then end it. That's the idea of vanity of life on earth when God is not there. The only clear path out of that is, Solomon will later say, fear God and keep his commandments. Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator said, madmen shortly become dead men. Matthew Henry had a way of saying things so concisely. Madmen shortly become dead men. Some of you may remember, if you're old enough, the old commercial. The old alcohol commercial, grabbing all the gusto you can because you only go around once. Well, I tell you, there's something else beside once. There's life after death somewhere. Knowing they will die, many people just have as much fun and have as much indulgence as they can pack into their lives before they die. That's vanity. Death and judgment is ahead. No more share in all that is done under the sun. Don't ever think that, well, from the grave, I'll just continue doing stuff here. No, you won't. You won't have any share in what's going on under the sun then. That gives you a vivid picture of what death is. Here's a paraphrase. Sometimes in, in Bible study and reading, I'll just write a paraphrase, see if, see if it helps me understand. The living have hope. If you're alive and you want to, you can change. You can change your perspective and your behavior and your association. You can, through Christ, enter into fellowship with God. You can live in the hand of God, fear God, and keep His commandments. And then, at the end, it will not matter to you that you didn't understand everything that was here on the horizontal plane. And you didn't like everything that was here because you'll love it there. I think that's the idea. So life's uncertainties make trust in a sovereign and wise God the only reasonable option. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Your questions before we continue. From 7 down through 9, let me speak with you a moment or two. 7 down through 9. When Solomon repeatedly brings up the reality of death, his purpose is to bring us to reality about how we ought to live. Solomon is not just saying, despair, despair. He's saying, if it's going to end this way, you better live in the hand of God now. That's what he's saying to us. So here, he calls upon us, once we've accepted the reality of death, to wisely receive what God offers to us. Enjoy what God allows us to have while we're here. Don't obsess over death. 
Don't get caught up in some morbid fear about it. Just get ready for it. And God has made a way for you to get ready for it. The gospel. Those who fear God and keep His commandments can enjoy peace and family and food and marriage and even work. Now, the mention of wine becomes a distraction. If you've listened to me preach and teach a while, you probably already know what I'm going to say about this. But the mention of wine in verse 7 is not uh, one of those statements that, that people... Well, well, it is a statement that people get locked into and may not attend to the rest of the context in Ecclesiastes and the Old Testament. Let me say some quick things about it. One, the word wine in the Bible does not necessarily and absolutely convey the kind of intoxicating beverages common today. Two, Solomon never recommends intoxication. No, no. Solomon describes intoxication and condemns it in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Three, it is not Solomon's purpose here to mandate a menu. He's talking in general about enjoying life under the sun. So, once we understand the reality of death, we can and should wisely navigate life under the sun in the hand of God to enjoy food and clean clothes and the ability to work hard. I will add this, when you see the word wine in the Bible, unless context tells you, you cannot assume fermented or unfermented. The term wine in modern use always conveys alcoholic content. In the Bible, the term sometimes used is used without any condemnation of alcohol, as in Isaiah 65 and verse 8. So don't be distracted by that. Let the rest of the Bible inform your conclusions. Further, Solomon recommends that in view of the coming death, we need to do everything we can to the best of our ability, with all our might. Work hard now, because there will be no briefcases or cell phones or computers in the grave. Sheol is the grave, the place of the dead. Solomon is teaching joy peace, hope, work hard, take advantage of the time that you have, knowing that you won't be doing these things in the grave. If you're going to do these things, you're going to have to do them now. And the best way to do them is to live in the hand of God while you enjoy what God offers. And there is almost hidden in this paragraph a very nice positive reference uh, to one of the great Pleasant values of life on earth. Having a good wife you love. All good men agree with that. The need filled by a good wife cannot be exaggerated. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. I see this and I think of a song that we sometimes use in our worship. Work for what? is coming the night work for the night is coming I heard somebody say work for the wife is coming well it may may be true about that but especially right before she walks in the door But, but this is about the work that you do and the enjoyment you can have 
when you live in the hand of God while you are here. Let's take 11 to 18, please. I want to get chapter 9 in before the end of class. 11 to 18. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet, no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. <clears throat> there are various abilities that may be represented in this group. There's being swift, strong, wise, intelligent, favored with knowledge. So consider these to be, we'll say, let me see, five abilities. Swift, strong, wise, intelligent, and having knowledge. <clears throat> In every case with people who have some or all of these abilities, there is something else that may be encountered. Solomon calls it time and chance. You may be fast, but time and chance may keep you from winning the race. You may be stronger than others, but time and chance may not be in your favor. Having good human abilities does not guarantee success because of time and chance, circumstances and things that may happen that you cannot foresee and that overcome the ability that you have developed. One way to say this is, things may happen in time, chance events we cannot predict, that keep us from success, even though we are skilled and qualified and we work hard. So, if you just focus on the abilities you've developed here under the sun and think that's going to give you meaning in life and fulfillment, it may not be because of time and chance. And Solomon really takes us back full circle now, reminding us we do not know the future. So you develop all of these abilities and talents, but you may die early. You may suffer a life-changing injury. You may come down with a fatal disease or have a car accident. Boy, isn't it great to come here, Berkeley, talk to you on a Sunday morning. But this is life under the sun. What do you do about all that? You put your life in the hand of God. And then in verses 13 to 17, <clears throat> here was an unexpected hero. 
in 13 through 18, really. Here was an unexpected hero who saved a whole city against a powerful army, and nobody could have predicted that one poor man by himself would do it. That just illustrates the point. People, no doubt, were depending upon the strong and the wise and the knowledgeable, those who had developed all these obvious abilities, yet this man was able to save the city. But what happened afterwards? Now, you can imagine reporters and interviewers always are there when something happens. But what about a year after, two, three, a generation, two generations later? Nobody remembers. You see, you can't get meaning and fulfillment just on the horizontal plane. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. And then, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Solomon is illustrating a point. What people notice and attend to is the dynamics seen and heard, the skills, the public display of talent, the volume. Solomon says what we learn in quiet circumstances often has the greater value. Sometimes what is public and dynamic and well-known and celebrated and loud and colorful is nowhere near the value of a conversation between two people that involves prayer and an open Bible. Think about that. I'll probably make reference to something similar to that in the sermon this morning. But sometimes, rather than a huge crowd and a big event and all the dynamics and the color and the celebration and the attention, two people at a kitchen table praying with an open Bible can be far, far better. That's the way chapter 9 concludes. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Takeaways. I know that of all that I've talked about this morning, <clears throat> one of the most attractive expressions and simple practical expressions is living in the hand of God. The Bible uses that kind of imagery to express God's power, His love, His supervision, his nimble ability to reach out and rescue and control. So we take great comfort in this knowledge that whatever we can't figure out, whatever we have to put up with that we don't like here, God knows what's going on perfectly, and God knows how it's going to end for the righteous and for the wicked, so I need to put my life in His hand while I'm living under the sun. We ought to put ourselves in the hand of God, and you do that by obeying Christ. That's the way you do that. You obey Jesus Christ, and then after that, fear God and keep His commandments. The hand of God. The hand of God. Now, everything I've said about the hand of God has taken us to positive thoughts, right? 
living in the hand of God. Comfort of living in the hand of God. Living under His authority and His control. Did you know there's something in the New Testament about the hand of God that's negative? Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to fall into the hands of the living God because of your sin and judgment. You want to put yourself in the hand of God, which is your choice to obey Christ and be taken out of sin into fellowship with God. The hand of God. Also in connection with verse 1, here under the sun, <clears throat> while we may choose to live our lives in the hand of God, we still may encounter on earth love or hate. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Did Jesus say to his disciples, if you will love me and keep my commandments, everybody on earth is going to treat you perfectly. Is that what he said? No. He said, if you love me and keep my commandments, they will treat you the way they've treated me. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me and you follow me, they'll persecute you. There's no doubt we're going to encounter both love and hate while we are here under the sun. There will always be the unknown of tomorrow. The unknown of tomorrow. We can expect unpleasant experiences. There will be pain in the future. There will be some who will love us and some who will hate us. That's the reality of life under the sun. The only way to cope with that is to fear God and keep His commandments. Are you with me? Here under the sun, Solomon reminds us in chapter 9, there are basically two kinds of people. In heaven, there will be only one kind. Here on earth, there are basically two kinds of people. Solomon describes one group under the sun as righteous and good and clean. He describes the other group as wicked, evil, and unclean. As long as we're here, there will be these two groups, and therefore we will encounter either love or hate as we go along in life. We can't push some cosmic button and change all of that. We can make the choice to be servants of God and keep ourselves in the hand of God, but we cannot make the wicked suddenly disappear. Two kinds of people here, but in heaven, only one kind. Where do you want to go? What do you want to happen when life under the sun is over? Very important concepts in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Well, 
Questions or comments? After that little bit of cheerful expectation. You know, it's positive to know that there will be negatives because then you can decide how you're going to cope with it. It's positive to know that there are negatives and it's positive to know that through the gospel of Christ you can navigate those negatives. You can cope with that. Even though you cannot know everything and fix everything perfectly, even though you will encounter both love and hate, and even though you may develop great abilities, great talents, but die before you can use them, you can fear God and keep His commandments and live your life in His hand. That is a certainty, and we take that certainty with us into every single day, I hope. Questions or comments or additional remarks about Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want you to read chapter 10 before we come back Wednesday night. I have mentioned to you before that there are images in the book of Ecclesiastes. The hand of God is an image. It is intended that when we read that image, it will form a picture in our minds. There are many other images in chapter 10 that, that are going to form pictures in our mind. And many of these images are framed in terms of Proverbs. A brief statement that captures truth. It doesn't elaborate. It may not give you four or five illustrations. It may not explain it page after page after page. It is a brief statement, a composite. It is a proverb. And we're going to encounter in chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes both images and proverbs that will help us understand that for full good meaning in life what must be is fearing God and keeping His commandments. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.